Good morning. It's good to see you all on this uh, beautiful November morning, the week before Thanksgiving. Uh, this, this week, actually, we um, come to the end of the Christian year. And next Sunday, we'll begin a new cycle of the Christian years. We enter, enter into the season of Advent. Uh, the, the Christian year, um, of course, revolves around uh, and, and is shaped around the life of Jesus. Uh, from his birth, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and, ascens- and ascension. So we begin in Advent, Christmas, with the stories of uh, his promised coming, the incarnation, the gift of Christ, God in the flesh among us. Uh, we move then into ver- the season of Epiphany, and then very quickly um, to the seasons of Lent and Easter, uh, remembering Christ's passion and death and resurrection. Uh, then to the season of Pentecost, where we celebrate the birth of Christ's church. Um, and then on to the season after Pentecost, which is a, a, a long season throughout the summer and fall, where we reflect on, that's the season of green, when we just left green. Um, and uh, it's the season of growth, the season of reflecting on the church, what it means to be the people of God in light of all the other stuff that we've talked about, and then culminating into, into today. Culminating today. Um, with the Sunday known as Christ the King or the Reign of Christ Sunday. Uh, this morning's little ending of the cycle of the Christian year points us to the end with a capital E and a capital T, if you like it. Um, The end, the the ultimate end to what the New Testament refers to as the eschaton, the last thing, that which is final, to the peaceable kingdom that Bishop Carter talked about last Sunday, when God's will will be done on earth, fully as it is done in heaven, to that end. Haphazard and chaotic as it might seem, all of history, we believe, is moving in that direction. That is the trajectory of the universe, to that end, to what God imagines and hopes and dreams for God's good creation. Not that God is Uh, dictating or controlling or predetermining every step along the way, but rather we believe that God has a dream and a purpose for God's creation and um, and that despite our efforts at times to thwart that dream and purpose for our own selfish ends, God will one day put all things to rights. There is a good and perfect end coming. A day when, as the prophets say, justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. A day when uh, John says in John's revelation that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, death and mourning, crying and pain will be no more. A day when, as Tolkien suggests, everything sad will become untrue. And we, God's people, are about living toward that end. 
or living with that end in mind. There are a lot of ways to think about that ultimate ending when things will be as God fully intends them to be. And one is to acknowledge that they are, in a sense, um, it is already, in a sense, here. It is a day that has come. It's not only a day that will happen in the future, out there sometime when Christ will reign and God's kingdom will come, but we know that Christ's kingdom is near now. That Christ is already Lord of all there is and was and ever will be. That Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. The universe is already filled with the fullness of Christ. That is true today in this moment. We can look to Jesus and see already the beginning of the end. But there's also a sense, and you feel it, you see it, in which Christ's reign is not yet fully realized. It is true that Jesus has inaugurated a new kingdom, a new way of life, and yet we can still look around and see all sorts of of signs and examples and evidence that things are not as they should be. We're still waiting for it to fully unfold. Uh, Illness and death and suffering and oppression and violence and division, all the ways that we, we still know that the kingdom hasn't come in its fullness. We've seen glimpses of it. Um, These bags are a sign pointing to the end. No one is hungry when the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. And yet we know. uh, These bags also point to the fact that some of our neighbors are yet hungry. And our world remains painfully broken, groaning, Paul says, waiting for the day of its redemption. And so the question really then becomes, if if that's kind of the, 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 the setting we find ourselves in, knowing that the end is out there somewhere, God's good purpose and dream for the world, of which we have seen glimpses, particularly in Christ, and yet we know the world remains painfully broken, groaning, awaiting the day of its redemption, How is it that we are to live in the between time, in our moment? How do we live having heard the truth that Christ is king while still waiting for Christ's reign to be fully realized? As followers of Christ the King, there are a a number of things that we are called to and that we mirror Jesus' way of life. First is, of course, that he was prophet. We are called to be prophets who speak the truth, particularly to, in a world that uh, seems um, just obsessed with lies. We're called to be a priesthood of believers, following Christ's example of interceding for the world, praying for the, the least among us, the weakest among us, prophet and priest. And here at the beginning of the liturgical year, on the doorstep of Advent, um, we, we come to kind of the truth of it all when we bump into this narrative from the Gospel of Luke. It's jarring, quite frankly, I don't know about you, uh, when R.W. stood up to, to read, um, to hear the words of the crucifixion narrative. I mean, for goodness sakes, we read that in April, <laughs> not in November, but here it is again. 
on this Christ the King, Reign of Christ Sunday. We can't escape the reality as we think about living toward the end of God's good will and purpose. We cannot escape the reality, the lectionary writers remind us, and the folks who put the Christian year together would remind us, that in Jesus, cross and cradle are inseparably linked. The one who is born in humility will die in shame. And that is the shape of his coming kingdom. Here is power made perfect in weakness. And expressed not in, as power often is expressed in systems of, of domination and manipulation and control but rather power expressed in self-emptying love. Power made perfect in weakness and humility and expressed in self-emptying love. That's the kingdom for which we wait and toward which we are called to live. You see, Christianity is not so much a system of belief, although we, uh, especially in the West, we love, we love our words and so we've, um, we've made a lot about the Christian faith, about how we think and talk um, and write and read and all those things that um, are fun to do. But God is not an idea that we think about. And the Christian faith, therefore, is not primarily a system of belief that we you know, hope folks will agree with and then that we can use to try to control and manipulate the world to get the outcome that we desire. Secure in our own self-rightness. The, the religious folk of Jesus' day were really good at that. And you may be familiar with some of the things that he had to say to those good religious folk about that. Um, the, reducing the Christian faith to following Jesus to an internal exercise of thinking the right thoughts and then using those right thoughts about God as the, as the kind of intellectual justification for all kinds of abuses of power. That's not the Christian faith. Doctrine or the content of what we believe, it does matter. The fact that we believe Christ is king, that that's a, a codified belief of the Christian faith, that matters. But it only matters in as much as it shapes us to look like and love like the one who is king. The early Christians were, were referred to as the way. Think about that, the way. Uh, they were a people who lived life in a radically different way because of what they believed historically um, and what they believed or where they believed history was heading. As Brian McLaren suggests, Christianity following Jesus is first and foremost a just and generous way of life. Christianity is first and foremost a just and generous way of life, rooted in prayer and expressed in compassion. Having the mind of Christ doesn't mean checking off a set of beliefs, and then using that right set of beliefs uh, to, to lord over others. It means 
allowing Christ to reign in our hearts and in our minds until our lives look like His. Humility expressed in self-emptying love. So, if we think about for a moment what it might look like for us to live as if Christ is really ruler and Lord of our hearts, and if what it might look like if we live in a way that points to that end that is coming, Scripture simply says, look at Jesus. That's what it looks like. Life in God's kingdom, life under His reign, is not about self-aggrandizement. It's about renunciation. Uh, If you look to the letter of the Philippians, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, Uh, we catch a glimpse of a very different kind of kingdom. Paul says to a church that was distracting itself by by discord and division and individualism and self-serving behavior, Paul, Paul says to them, in your relationship with each other, in the way that you embody the faith, what you believe, the content of what you believe, in the way you live out your beliefs, the doctrine of the church, Let this be the governing attitude among you. Have the mind of Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. Have that mind among you and let it govern your lives. It's a beautiful passage. We often refer to it as the Christ hymn. Reminds us of how um, we are to live as if Christ uh, truly is Lord and King. That life lived under the reign of Jesus is not about what we have or who we are or who we know. It's about what we do. If Christ actually is Lord and King, then we will love as God loves and Give as God gives and forgive as God forgives. That's what it means to lean towards, to live towards that gracious end under the Lordship of Christ who um, expressed His reign in humility and love. I'm reminded of Martin Luther King Jr. a couple months before his death preaching at um, Ebenezer Baptist Church said to the folks there, I want to be remembered this way. If, if Christ is Lord and King of my life, then, then my Nobel Peace Prize is less important than my trying to feed the hungry. And he goes on, if Christ is truly King, if I'm living toward the end of God's good purpose and will and dream for the world, of God's coming kingdom, well then my invitations to the White House are far less important than that I visited those in prison. And if Christ truly is Lord and King, then my being Time Magazine's Person of the Year is of no significance at all. Far less important than that I tried to love extravagantly with all my being. Maybe we could add to that, if Christ reigns in our hearts, if we are living in a way that points to the end, to God's hope and dream for the world, to the coming of God's kingdom, then how we treat the poor, how we, how we love our neighbors, even those neighbors that we call our enemies, how faithful we are to speaking truth to power, how 
intentional we are about the priestly ministry of offering forgiveness and interceding on the behalf of others, all of that is far more important than any other allegiance or agenda or loyalty or benefit or relationship we have. None of the rest matters. The thing about the church when it's faithful is that the world can look at the church and say, their hearts seem to belong to another. Um, Unlike the Caesars of this world, the kings of this world, who put Jesus to death, who used their power to control, to manipulate, to secure power and position for themselves and their friends, Jesus, the only true King and Lord, gave it all away. Did not count equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself and gave it all away for love. On the cross, not from a golden throne, not from a palace or the halls of power, but from the cross, Christ reigns. Jesus' royalty wasn't uh, pomp and power, but, but humble obedience grounded in love. In, in love, he was driven to Jerusalem, even though he knew the likely outcome. In love, he went all along the way, eating and drinking with sinners, uh, intent on, on demonstrating that God's kingdom is one where those who are rejected and outcast and excluded are welcomed in and given a seat at the table. In obedient love, he made peace by offering his very own life. The lamb um, will lie down with the lion. The lamb of God, our peace. Humble, sacrificial love defines God's kingdom. And friends, therein is real power. And therein is true freedom. If you think about that just for a moment, and all the things that we think change the world, um, It's a poor peasant from Palestine. And 2,000 years later, all over this world, more than a billion people still go by his name. Humility expressed in love. It will change the world. It has changed the world. It's likely changed your life. Um, And it will change the lives of some of our neighbors just this week. If we can hear nothing else today, then maybe we can hear Christ, our gracious and gentle King, our Lord, our friend, say, um, don't be afraid. Uh, For a moment, stop trying to control and be the king and queen of your own life. um, And just let go of it. Just relinquish it and give it to me um, and see what I can do with it. Uh, That was the invitation to the disciples. Just come follow me. Let go of that stuff you're doing. Put it down. Follow me. Let's see where this goes. Um, It's an adventure more than you can ever imagine. Let Christ reign in your hearts, friends, in my heart. 
Um, therein is true freedom and power. And knowing and trusting that God can make more of these lives than we could ever imagine. And for that, we should be so grateful um, and fully committed until the end when God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.